Welcome back into the mental game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week's guest is Bengals head coach Zach Taylor. And this was an amazing conversation with Zach about his personal life, his football journey from being a college quarterback to now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. And obviously, we talk a lot about his Bengals coaching career, what it was like those first couple years of losing a lot of games, then getting the number one pick in Joe Burrow, a franchise-changing quarterback, and Burrow and Taylor taking the Bengals all the way to the Super Bowl in 2021. All of that and much, much more coming up in this episode. Obviously, we also talk about mental health and his life as an NFL coach and also what it's like to manage the mental health of his players in the locker room. But before we get started, I just want to say thank you to everyone that supported the mental game. And if you love what I'm doing here with the podcast, please like, subscribe, leave a rating, share, retweet, Put it on whatever you can. Tell your friends, Bengals fans, even Steelers fans. I know that might sound a little crazy. You can tell them, too. We want to help everyone we can with their mental health. And I really, really have loved this journey so far, especially on Season 2. And I can't wait to share so many more episodes with you. But right now, it is time for the latest episode on The Mental Game with Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor. Welcome back into the mental game. I am Brandon Seho, and as you can see, I have a very special guest, Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor. Zach, I appreciate you doing this, my man. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate having me. Yeah, you know, I've covered you your first year when you got hired for the Bengals, and it's been fun to get to know you over that time, and I think a lot of Bengals fans will enjoy this interview. Uh, First thing I ask everyone on the mental game is what does mental health mean to you? So I'll ask you the same thing, and people have a variation of answers. Maybe there's a traumatic event that, that made them think about it more, or they're in a tough career like coaching, and you got to learn to take care of your mental health. But I'll ask you the same thing. What does mental health mean to you? It's just taking care of yourself, trying to keep yourself as fresh as possible, um, especially as an adult and in various walks of life that mm-hmm. you may find yourself in. Uh, you can find yourself taking care of other people, yeah. you know, and, and making sure that everyone's taken care of. And uh, there's times where you certainly got to step back and make sure that you're taking care of yourself mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, just doing things to keep yourself moving forward every day because there's different responsibilities you have, different adversity you're going to face. Yeah. And you just got to make sure that yourself is taken care of and before you can help other people, really. Yeah. And I feel like football is one of those sports and a lot of sports are, but it's one that can, it can be a mental game and play yeah. with your emotions and, and your goals and ambitions, winning, losing. How have you been able to balance that throughout your career? You're, you're from Oklahoma, dreamed of playing for the Sooners, ended up going to Wake Forest. Then uh, you played at Nebraska, quarterback there. But take me through your football journey and how you're able to balance those goals, dreams, and then what happened. Right. Uh, you know, I haven't faced major adversity in my life. Nothing mm-hmm. life-threatening, not losing anyone particularly close to me. Yeah. Um, I haven't faced that kind of – that's a whole different kind of adversity. Yeah. Um, I, I faced more just life, life challenges where – um, I went to Wake Forest as a high school recruit, got a scholarship there, went there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Just didn't find it was a very good fit for me. It's yeah. a great school. I have great friends that went there. But for me personally, um, wasn't the right the right place at the right time. And yeah. so uh, the, my first real challenge I faced in life was transferring. You know, mm-hmm. It's a whole different ballgame than transferring. Oh, a whole different ballgame. <laughs> you didn't have the transfer portal and anywhere necessary to go as a low-level recruit. Yeah. You're leaving a, a you know $38,000 a year scholarship on mm-hmm. the table. My mom couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, and stepping into the unknown of going to junior college. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's a whole different step. And so that was the first challenge I found of just – uprooting a pretty good life that I had mm-hmm. just because I wasn't very happy. 
and going to a junior college in Kansas where I knew nobody. I knew yeah. nothing about it. I didn't know. Um, I just walked in the door and, and uh, kind of fought every single day to, to make myself part of the group. Mm-hmm. And, and then from there was, was able to jump into a longer football career. When you are able to, to get that position as the quarterback at Nebraska, speaking of that, just first two, two and a half years of college where Wake Forest, you transfer out, then you go to JUCO. What was that like finally getting that moment and being able to be the quarterback at a school like Nebraska? Yeah, it wasn't initially it wasn't what it's cracked up to be. Yeah. I promise you that. <laughs> uh, you transfer in, picture January 5th. Um, I step foot on the Nebraska campus. Yeah. I don't know anyone. Yeah. I don't know where to live. I have no roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a locker room with 100 guys that know each other that don't know anything about me and don't really care right. who this new guy that transferred in is. Yeah. Um, so I had to live by myself for my first semester, which is pretty mm. miserable. Yeah. It's not a great way to get to know people. <laughs> right. um, you know, you're, there's the groups of people that are at the workouts and in the off season that are all talking to each other and you kind of try to hedge yourself over there to get to know them. And yeah. so the first six months there was not, I wouldn't say fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to start playing and that changes things a little bit. But my first year was not, not uh, a rosy road per se. And, um, but then you start to meet new people and you start to find yourself ingrained in the community a little bit more and really enjoyed myself my second year there, my last year there. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't always cracked up to be uh, right out the gate. That's for sure. To be the D one college QB. It's a, no, it's a, it's a lonely road to start when you transfer in, right? You know, it's it, no friends. You don't know the school school's hard. You're learning a new playbook. There's a lot of expectations on you. Um, so it can be very stressful. I'm sure like every football player, your dream was to play in the NFL. Um, when did that goal maybe come to realization that it wasn't going to happen or you weren't going to be able to have a long career? And how did you make that switch to coaching? I, you know, I don't know that I ever necessarily had that goal. I, I okay. grew up in Norman, Oklahoma as an OU fan. Yeah. Pro sports wasn't a big deal there. Right. My goal was to be a starting quarterback in college football, mm-hmm. you know, and that was the life I always saw was glamorous. And yeah, I got to play in these big stadiums. And so when I got to Nebraska, that was just, hey, I'm going to try to be the starting quarterback. And then my senior year, you, you can't help but notice some of the noise surrounding. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's got a chance to be drafted. And uh, you can let that creep into your head a little bit. Um, I wasn't drafted, you know, yeah. which, which I, I didn't expect to be drafted high. I expected maybe to go in the seventh round. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Um, that was just the path I was supposed to follow. And, yeah. and uh, it, was a, it was a short-lived path in the NFL. But um, I, I think I, I maximized kind of what my abilities were and enjoyed the experience. Why did you want to be a coach? Uh, you've had experience throughout college. Obviously, you're with um, the Rams with Sean McVay. And then you get the call here a few years ago to be the head coach of the Bengals. But just like every coaching story, it is a rocky up and down yeah. road. Why did you want to be a coach? I, I like engaging with people. Mm-hmm. I like impacting people. I felt like my best teachers were coaches. And so, yeah, I went to all these different classes, all these different schools. But when I was in a quarterback meeting room or a unit meeting room, that's where I learned the most. And I felt like it made sense to me. And so when my career ended as a player, mm-hmm. I felt like, well, the one thing I, I feel like I'm most knowledgeable isn't econ or accounting or, <laughs> or some of that stuff. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I feel like it, football is pretty natural for me yeah. and that I can try to give some of these younger players uh, the same impact, hopefully, that, that Bill Callahan and Jay Norville, you know, made on me when I was a player in Nebraska. You coached in Cincinnati the first time under Tommy Tuberville at the University of Cincinnati. I think that was, was that 2015? 2016. 2016, okay. Yeah. So I was a, a year out then. But that experience, I think one of the craziest stories I've ever heard is that your second ever NFL game was here watching your brother coach for the Eagles against the Bengals while you were a coach at UC. And then walk me through that because that is just a range of emotions and crazy to look back on. So it was the first game I ever attended. I had coached okay. four years at Miami Dolphins yeah, yeah. Uh, before I went to UC. So 
Uh, but but you've got the story pretty much right. And I, I didn't attend many games as a fan yeah. you know, since I was in high school as a high school kid. Um, so the first NFL game that I ever attended in the stands was my brother was coaching for Philly. I was at UC. It would have been, you know, the day we got fired. So December 7th, 8th, 9th ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my brother's in town. I bought four tickets for my wife and I and my parents yeah. uh, to sit right behind the Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals bench for no reason other than they were relatively uh, inexpensive. And, yeah. And uh, I don't remember what the Bengals record was at the time, but I was on the field. The, be- the Eagles sidelines pregame, the sideline passes, interact with my brother. Yeah. Went up to our seats and, and probably uh, midway through the, the f- late first quarter, second quarter, we got a text saying, you know, Coach Tuberville stepped down. We have a staff meeting right now. So exited the stadium, walked all the way down. What is that? Third Street, yeah. whatever it is. And uh, <laughs> found my car in the parking lot over by uh, uh, Salzano's Barbershop, I think is where I parked. And so it was yeah. a lonely walk down an empty street during a Bengals game. And that was my last impression of, of really Cincinnati. That moment, uh, was that one of those lows of, of just, it, you're only at UC for eight, one year, yeah. Yeah, eight nine yes. months. Yeah. But this coaching business, I know you had, four, was it four years in Miami? Yeah. And then three in, in LA? Two in LA. Two in LA. Yeah. You can bounce around, move, move around, you get fired, hired. How do you like just balance that because that's a lot of adrenaline and, and happy and sad all in one, one mix throughout your career. Yeah. And you're at different stages in your life. You know, it's when I left UC, when we got let go, I had three kids at that time, had a newborn daughter, my yeah. third kid. Uh, we'd fallen in love with Cincinnati more so than any town we'd lived mm-hmm. in so far. My wife in particular. Yeah. And so losing that job um, was tough because we wanted to stay here. We saw ourselves being here a long time. And so she was, that was the first job. I think we moved away and she, she cried. Like, I don't want to leave here. Mm-hmm. Um, especially to move to LA, you know, we're from <laughs> Oklahoma. She's <laughs> technically different. from Wisconsin. Now we're going to LA, Los Angeles. I'm looking up on Zillow, LA homes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> how is this going to work? And, yeah. um, but, but you know, like, like we do, she's the, she's the daughter of a coach. She picked herself up. She's the wife of a coach, mm-hmm. um, picked herself up, put on a good face for her kids. And we moved out to LA and made the most of it and really enjoyed our two years there. You know, it was a blessing to spend that time there. Yeah. Great staff, great community, um, really enjoyed it, but, but nothing was better than getting the phone call that we get a chance to come back. That's what I was going to ask you. You are in the Super Bowl with the Rams under Coach McVay, and you get that call to interview for the Bengals job mm-hmm. and then get this job as your first head coaching job in the NFL. It had to be a dream come true, especially with the love you had for Cincinnati in just that yeah, short time. It was. You know, um, it was. Uh, we're very particular. You know, mm-hmm. we're Midwestern people, or so I thought. I thought I was grew up in the Midwest <laughs> in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah. Turns out that's the Plains region or whatever label you want to put on it. This yeah. is the Midwest. But I saw myself as that type of person. Uh, this community makes sense to me. It's mm-hmm. it's familiar to me. I wasn't the type of person that just wanted to go work anywhere. Yeah. You know, especially to be a head coach and have that type of pressure. I wanted to live in a community that felt comfortable for me and my family. Um, Cincinnati's one of those communities, and so. To get that call, to have the opportunity to interview, I put everything I had into it. Mm-hmm. I think that that came off likely in the interview with the Brown and Blackburn family yeah. and Duke that, hey, this is you're going to get everything I got because yeah. uh, you know my family's on the line here. I want to I want to work for you. I'll give you everything mm-hmm. I got, and um, it was genuine. And unfortunately, you know they liked what they heard, and we were able to put it together. When Cincinnati fans feel that that you're genuine and kind of claim you as one of them. It's a powerful thing. And I remember in your introductory press conference when you were hired as the head coach, you mentioned this just being a football town because you've seen it from college, high school level recruiting and coaching at UC, now being the head coach of the Bengals. Just the passion of this town and being able to help them get to levels of a Super Bowl and AFC championships and things they haven't seen 
for me, I, I've never seen a championship in my lifetime as a Cincinnati fan in 30 years. To be able to, to bring them to new levels, what was that like for you, being through that journey of knowing the passion they have in this town? Yeah, well, it started just being a kid in Norman and growing up an OU fan and seeing different people come through and the impact they had on that community and mm -hmm. who made an impression on me, what players, what coaches, yeah. uh, mainly the ones who were engrossed in the community and the ones that came and spoke to my FCA groups and you got a chance to know them on a human level. And so uh, that's that. you feel like you can make that impact in, in Cincinnati. You feel like you can really affect people. It's not this enormous city yeah. uh, with the beach to go to and all these different things to do. It's it's football really makes this town go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to, to be a big part of that is special. I don't take it for granted. Uh, having worked at UC and been to all the high school games and gone through the high schools and impacted with people on that level yeah. um, paints a picture of, man, this is, this is as good as high school football as there is in the country. Mm -hmm. um, they got UC and Ohio State, two of the best programs in the country, and, and we got to get the Bengals you know, in that same picture, in that same, same breath. And uh, so that's what we work on trying to do, and, and it's important to us to be able to do that. I remember that first season, you only win two games and me and a lot of other reporters have to ask the questions about losing and I know hot seat comes up sometimes. How do you weather that storm as a first year head coach? And were there nights that you were, I don't know if depressed, anxiety, sad, how, how do you balance that? Yeah, it's difficult to balance because you believe in the process and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but you got to keep everybody on the same page, you know, and it's really hard when you're facing that kind of adversity. There's no wins to show you, you know, through December 1st yeah. that what we're doing is going to work. You have to have faith. And so that starts with just building relationships with people to where mm -hmm. you can fall back on the relationships. They got to trust me on this. We're going to, there's better days ahead and it's hard. You keep saying it, you believe it. Um, the media part of it doesn't really affect me. That's, that's yeah. part of the job. People are doing their jobs. Um, that never has really phased me. Mm -hmm. Um, nor the fans, you know, saying things that's, that's just part of the gig, but yeah. man, when you're 0 and 11 and you wake up on a Monday morning and you know, you really do wake up thinking, am I, is this really happening? Are we mm -hmm. really 0 and 11? Do I really have to go to work today as an 0 and 11 head coach leading this team and get them to fight another day? And th certainly those things when you wake up in the morning are challenging and, uh, you gotta go through a week and, um, you know, you know, maybe the chips are stacked against you that week. <laughs> so I remember being in London playing the Rams. Yep. Um, them coming off the Super Bowl and us being 0 and 0 and 7 or 0 and 8 at the time, and uh, it felt like a tall task. And and I felt like our guys fought. You know, and that's all I could ask for them. You know, we wanted to win the game, but I felt like these guys were still playing hard for us. And that was really a, a good taste for me to think we, we're going to have a chance here mm -hmm. to get some momentum this season. Yeah. And continue to build for the future. And felt like we've we've done that. Those first two years, I think it's six wins total. Obviously, Joe comes in, he gets hurt, but you start to see it turn the corner. Mm -hmm. Is that when you realize that all those nights you're here till midnight or getting up at five, six in the morning, doing this year round, that it's worth it when you can start to see it turn the page? It is. You know, it's worth it when you feel like uh, we're a lot more competitive. We're not winning as many games as people want or we want, sure. Um, but you can feel how close you get. And as a coach who's been through a lot of different experiences, mm -hmm. you can start to feel that momentum changing and you know, we're, we're going to change a couple things a year from now and add some yeah. players, and we're going to have a really good shot to be a good team. And, um, again, just have faith in your process. Don't be afraid to evolve mm -hmm. things you're doing in your life. Yeah, uh, There's plenty of things that we continue to – we, we preached, we believe in this, but here's why we're going to change it a little bit and evolve with kind of where our team's at. And I think those changes enabled us to continue to have success. I think culture is like – people can look at it as coach speak, but being somebody that has been around you and been in your locker rooms – what was so special about the thing that you've been able to build where there is the team chemistry? When you talk to players, it really does feel like a family. It feels much more connected than some of the other locker rooms I've been in as yeah. a sports reporter. 
connected is a word we use a lot. You know, you want these guys to um, play for those around them, not mm. just for, for self-accolades and um, things that can come at them. You want them to not want to let their, their teammate down because of how hard he works. And, and on top of that, you got to set a very high standard that people understand this is going to take a lot of hard work. Yeah. But at the same time, we want them to have a smile on their face when they walk in the building every single day. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want to uh, be a head coach of an organization where people dread yep. getting in their car and driving into the building every day for, man, this is just, uh, you know, hell what I'm about to go through today. Yeah. Just earn a paycheck. That, that's I didn't think that that was the culture we wanted to build. That's not how we wanted to set this foundation to win championships. And so. Um, we spent a lot of time on building those relationships where guys enjoyed the process of coming in here every day and working towards championships. You mentioned the word championships. 2021 was a very special season for the Bengals and for the city of Cincinnati. It's, it's something that these fans have not seen in a long time. What was that ride like? Because I would say maybe a year earlier than people were expecting. I mean, Joe Burrow had this crazy awesome year. Jamar comes in and, and those two hit it off like they did at LSU during the championship yeah. season. But you guys just kept on winning. Yeah, you know, it's really um, felt the midway point of that season. Um, we had learned some lessons about some of the losses we'd had yeah. that were going to make us better down the stretch. And at the same time, you just looked at a roster and it didn't feel like there's a glaring weakness here. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can overcome any deficiency we have. We got a lot of strength, a lot of great leaders at every different position group. And and those guys started believing, um, you know, really after the bye, we just felt like there's not a team we can't beat yeah. if we play as well as we can. And this team, it wasn't – there were bumps on the road. We lost two consecutive games, the Chargers and the 49ers mm-hmm. in close games. And uh, but this team believed that we could get it done. And once you got into the playoffs and you checked that first playoff box, you know, where we beat the Raiders, these guys just believed anything was possible. And um, we had the talent to, to take us all the way to the Super Bowl. When you win the AFC Championship game, I mean, there's probably, what, 10, 15,000 Bengals fans. I know you probably don't remember this because it was all a blur, but you, like, gave me a hug on the 50-yard line. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was part of the team, and yeah. I did something yeah. to help you guys get there. But when you look back at big moments in your career – like, is that one that's super special to your heart? The most special one was the the divisional, to, to clinch the division, mm-hmm. beating the Chiefs here at home. Because that was the one that really all of our work, yes, we want to win the Super Bowl. There's no doubt. We want to win the conference championship. But first, you have to get to the playoffs. Yeah. And you had to be at the top of your division. And so that was a very difficult goal, given how difficult our division yeah. is. We feel like it's the strongest in mm-hmm. all the world. And so to win that game against a, a team that had been as successful as Kansas City at home that clinched our division, um, those, were, those were three years of a lot of hard work to get to that point that you felt in that moment like we did it. Now now the rest is gravy. Let's go win yeah. a Super Bowl. You know? <laughs> and, and so um, that to me at that moment was, was hard to surpass. You know? Yeah. Looking back on the mental health side of things with the Super Bowl, when, when you're that close, mm-hmm. what, I think 140 away from winning it, um, how do you live with that, move on? Is it, t- is it tougher than most games? Because I'm assuming, I think we talked to you the day after, you get in the film, you watch it, try to get better and move on, but it's a Super Bowl. How do you let that sink in and not give you negative energy mentally? It's a, that's a real challenge, you know, and it doesn't hit you until that last play is unsuccessful. And then you look at the scoreboard and you realize the game's over. And that's where it really just starts racing through your mind of how close we just were and um, all the different things go through. Do we did a, put our guys in the best position? What could we have done differently? We're so close, mm-hmm. and, and uh, now we're second place. And so that's that's tough, and it, it burns at you uh, still to this day. It fuels you, but mm-hmm. you got to use that in in a positive manner. 
Um, you look around at people, successful people, people who have been at the top of the mountain. Yeah. They face so many challenges that uh, weren't even public. People didn't even know about yeah. private things that, that they overcame. Some of them are public, like in our profession, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it fuels people for, for great things down the road. And as long as you use it the right way, you know, in a positive manner. And I feel like our, our guys have really tried to do that. Do you feel like for you and the guys that were on that field losing in LA in that Super Bowl, that that is the, the motivation? I mean, you get all the way back to the FC Championship game last year, and that's something that's on your mind. I know you got to take it day by day. Right. Is that something that's consistently on your mind you motivating know, you? I, I think we all know what it feels like to get so close and, yeah. and not get there. Um, so that's in the back of your mind. But th- this team is so motivated just just the way that they're driven yeah you know, and I think that's a credit to Duke and the way he's built this team is from guys that are just they're motivated to mm-hmm. be champions and um, when you get a collection of those guys that are all motivated by the same things it's it's an incredible force to be reckoned with and so um, we all learn from each other you know mm-hmm. it's it's coaches learn from players players learn from coaches and and uh, it's it's a fun process to be a part of, but I think this team is just motivated by. But let's be the best twenty twenty three team we can possibly be, yep. and not so much talk about the twenty twenty one Super Bowl. For you, when you have players managing, uh, you know, a coaching staff, players, when it come comes to the mental side yeah. of things, how are you handling that as a team, as an organization? When you see a guy maybe struggling, going through something, or he needs you know extra extra time after practice just individual work how do you have those conversations and focus on that yeah we're never going to get the best player if they're not the best off the field they can be and so if they've got a family situation they're going through a personal situation we always want them to take time to address that um, before we ask them to to give their fullest in our locker room on the field so and those come at you a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. you know it might be a family who's going through an illness family member that they got to travel to immediately might be a kid that they've got might be themselves um, not feeling at their best. And so yeah. um, I, I think that our our team here has done a great job of um, relaying the resources people have. Yeah. And I think players, I would like to think that every player knows that they can walk in my office, walk in Lou's office, Brian, Darren, whoever, and speak openly mm-hmm. about how they're feeling and what they're going through and that they're going to get the help that they need. And so um, that's the environment. That's the culture we've tried to build here. And and I would hope that our players would echo that if you talk to them privately. Yeah. Um, that's not something that I'm always going to get directly from them. Right. Uh, but but I would hope that that's how they feel as well. No, I, I know Sam Hubbard, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon pretty well, and, and they all love you and love the, the culture that you guys have built here. Let's get into some fun questions. Um, the game ball tradition. Yeah. That is one of the coolest things I have seen as a, as a sports fan. What gave you that idea? You know, I, it's hard to, to communicate exactly what it was. Uh, you're always afraid to say it out loud until it's reality. Right. Because I didn't, you know, not that I believe in <laughs> jinxes or anything, but it's just one of those things where I don't want to talk about this and, and feel like, uh, okay, here's our opportunity and we didn't do it and now this thing's out there. So yeah. I kind of always kept it to myself. I maybe talked to Doug Rosfeld, mentioned it, I think, the mm-hmm. week of the Raiders game. Yeah. I'd mentioned it to Caroline and Elizabeth Blackburn. Um, but it was one of those things, you know, those those tough nights I had when we were not winning games and you're driving down, I think it's 3rd Street, 2nd Street, whatever yeah. the street is that drives by the Raiders Stadium and uh, driving home and just thinking about, okay, what a parade would look like and big wins and people on the streets. And, and then I'd get closer to my house and I'd drive through, um, you know, Malacut Square and there's, there's MLTs over there. And on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, I'm coming home from work and there's a great scene in there and they're watching sports games and I never go in there. That's just not my style, but... I think, man, what what a great thing it would be to to share in a in a playoff win experience with these people who have 
yearned for this for so long. And so um, the game ended, and I think the first thing I, I shook Rich Bisaccia's hand, the head coach of the Raiders, and the first thing I did was go to Doug, you know, probably at midfield, <laughs> and say, we, we got to get those balls. Get me, get me someone who's got great penmanship, and, and get me, I need, you know, however many game balls, three, I think, yeah. at the time. And uh, let's get to work on this thing. And so um, no one really knew what I meant. And <laughs> yeah. so Doug brought out, you know, one of our young uh, trainer interns, and she wrote, uh, she wrote on the balls. So that's the only one she wrote. I've written all the other ones. But yeah. the first ones, um, I forget her name, but she, she wrote them all. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of gave maybe some to Emily and, and some to somebody else. And we said, let's, let's get these out there. And um, so I drove my kids to a bar, <laughs> left them in the parking lot with my friend. And I went into MLTs and I brought Kevin Huber along for the ride as well. And and we made it happen. It's been one of the cooler things to, to I'm sure for you, be face-to-face -face with fans when you're driving by and see the bars of the streets packed celebrating. And now it's been a culture of winning here, and you see those environments each week. Do you feel that energy as a coach throughout the season? Absolutely. You know, you, you certainly do. And, and, again, I grew up in a college town where Oklahoma was our pro team. Right. And I lived and died with their wins and losses. And in 2000, Josh Heupel led them to a national championship out of nowhere. You know, in 1999, there were seven and five team in 2000, they won the championship. And so yeah, yeah. oftentimes as we're going through our Super Bowl run, um, I would remember how I felt as a high school junior yeah. and the team was doing so well and, and the experiences after wins. And so, um, I want to experience that with our fans. I love driving through Cincinnati after a big win. I cherish driving into games. I cherish driving out of games. I look at every fan that's on the side. I look at every Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I certainly, um, don't take for granted all the wins that we have now. I, I cherish every single second mm -hmm. of them. I want to ask you about something, and I'm kind of going out of order here. I said I'd do fun questions, but there was, we talk about big games, and the Bills-Bengals game was one of the biggest games mm -hmm. in a long time here at Paycor Stadium and in the NFL last season. Experiencing that of watching DeMar Hamlin go down and get injured and the reaction of the Bills players, coaches, your own players, yeah. I remember very distinctly watching you walk across the field to talk to their head coach and comfort him and talk about the situation that was at hand. Can you just walk me through what that moment was like and what, what you maybe, you don't have to say it word for word, but what you said to him? Yeah, it, it really, at the end of the day, felt like a very simple situation. Um, we've got two teams on different sidelines that need to communicate with one another. And this is an unprecedented situation. We're hearing from the officials you know, what they're saying, what they're saying, can we just, can I just go talk to him mm -hmm. and we can just talk directly. And, and so we're all on the same page. And when you got there, it was just, what do you guys need? And the first thing out of Sean's mouth was, I got a player here that I feel like I need to be with, you know, and it's very difficult for me to continue on this game when I've got a player I've got to take care of. And so w when you boil it down to that, it's, it's a very simple solution. It's, yeah. we, got a, we got a life or death situation here um, with a guy that they love very much that they're seeing go through a lot of pain. And the head coach wants to, needs to be a part of that at the hospital and Brandon being the GM and their owner. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so and Stephon Diggs was that. So they got all these people that just care about their brother. And when, when you boil it down to that, very simple solution. Uh, but I, I feel like they, you know, Sean really led the way there with, with what needed to be done. Your guys, I think, and you went over to their locker room, comforted them, seeing Joe Burrow. I think Sam Hubbard went over there, mm -hmm. your captains. And it just it showed from someone that knows you and some of the guys that were on the field that night just the leadership and that it's just life. It's not forget the game. This is a, a life moment that you need to take care of. And that was our players. You know, I really didn't have anything to do with that. I think me and Emily Parker and Doug Rossville were down kind of on their end, um, just trying to hear from the NFL. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to do that was go to the Bills locker room and try to see that way the communication was tighter. 
Um, and then I saw our captains coming at me. And so they, they were the ones that made the decision. We're going to, where are they at? We need to go down there and talk to their players directly. Um, I stopped him and I wanted to make sure it was Sean first that <laughs> yeah. it was, that's what they wanted. And when he said they did, you know, you see Josh Allen, all those captains come out and it was, it was good to see, you knew at that moment that that was the right thing to do was have them interact, um, and comfort each other. And, and I was proud of our guys, you know, all of our captains that decided to, to come down there and, and talk to them face to face. Back to, to fun questions and football questions. Joe Burrow, he is unquestionably one of the biggest superstars in the NFL. Yep. Great player, great person. I had the chance to sit down with his parents on this podcast and talk about all the work they're doing with the Joe mm. Burrow Foundation, supporting kids with their mental health and food insecurity. What makes him such a special person? Yeah, he's not just a superstar in the NFL. He's a superstar in all sports. You know, mm. he's, he's um, and it's just he's so genuine. There's nothing about him that's forced. Um, sure, he's a talented guy that works as hard as any person I've ever been around to, to make himself better, make the team better. Um, but he's just genuine in every interaction he has. There's no uh, fraudulence to him. There's nothing like, I feel like I'm supposed to be saying this, so I'm going to say it. I feel like I'm supposed to act like this, so I'm going to yeah. act this way. Everything about him is genuine from one-on-one -on -one personal interactions with him to his interactions with his teammates and fans and media. And what you see is what you get. And, uh, you know, it's rare that you come across superstars like that, mm -hmm. that can be so genuine and just, um, here I am. And, uh, that's what you can really appreciate about him. People use the term franchise changing with him. Do you feel like that's accurate that he came in and took this franchise to another level? I, I think first of all, he plays a position that is a franchise changing position. Mm -hmm. And when you get a guy with the qualities that he has that plays at the level he has, that combination equals what you're saying. Right. And so, um, he's one of those guys that is a surefire first pick in the draft. You know, he, he would be the first pick in, a, in most drafts. Right. I, I might say all the drafts I've <laughs> yeah. ever been a part of. Okay. And so that every year that's not the case. Yeah. Um, oftentimes there's dialogue and it could be this guy or this guy or this guy. And in our case, we were fortunate to have the number one pick the year that it was a no brainer. He'd done everything he needed to do. He checked every interaction box we mm -hmm. needed from him. And um, he's lived up to those expectations for us. And I know he still feels like he's got championships to win, and that's all great. But um, he's led the way that we always hoped he would lead. And, and it's, it's franchise-altering when you have a guy at that position who acts the way he does, yeah. plays at the level he does. Those are the ingredients you're looking for. This team and Joe, certainly fun to watch. And it's great knowing you and, and seeing what you guys are doing on and off the field. Uh, before we started rolling, we mentioned um, some of the guests that I've had on here. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about The Office. And I was going to ask you about some of your like personal coping mechanisms or things you do to kind of wind down or, or yeah. take care of your mental health. But I want to ask about The Office first, because I mentioned Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith, one of my first guests. You guys have a huge Office fan base in your house with Sarah yeah. and the kids. Sarah and my two sons, Brooks and Luke, we all love The Office. I come home, when I come home in the off season at work, um, you know, around dinner time, Brooks and Luke are always watching The Office, mm -hmm. you know, and so uh, they've seen every episode, I think, from start to finish. Uh, I bought probably three Office trivia books that I keep <laughs> in my car, and so when we're driving to a basketball tournament, they'll be reading questions, and we play a game where you got to go in a circle, the four of us, you got to name a character, and the first one to get stuck, you know, you're out, and we yeah. keep going around, and so you get pretty deep into the archives there of Office characters, but... Uh, I, I think it's a show that really goes from generation to generation and uh, it's something I really enjoy. It's clean. It's relatively clean. Yeah. I found a couple that aren't as clean, but um, it's, it's fun to go through that process with your family. We'll keep, that's what she said jokes out of yeah. the <laughs> They don't quite, a, it's a little this, over their heads at the yeah. moment. But yeah. the, the ones, obviously Michael Scott, you, you know, Dwight <laughs> Troop, but like 
you were digging in deep. It's not just Nelly or Robert California. Like, what were some of the other ones you guys have to dig into in this game? Oh, man. I mean, Hank, the security guard, yeah. uh, the cameraman makes an appearance. He actually has a name. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of – you go through all the warehouse guys. And, <laughs> um, it's So the, we get pretty deep. Of course, I'm on the spot right now, and I can't name any yeah, of them. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, there, there's times we, we put a lot of energy into it. Two more questions for you. Uh, along those lines, being with your family has to help you really – wind down and enjoy life and mentally be able to check out of the job as much as you can. What are some of the things you do with Sarah, the kids, your family or, or on your own that really help your mental health? Just try to be present with them. You know, we play board games all the time. Mm -hmm. I'll play video games with my kids. Um, just, just things that you can spend quality time with each other, you know, whether it's outside in the yard or inside playing board games. Um, but there's times I got to take time to myself. You know, I, I try not to feel guilty if I go on a two day golf trip with my friends, you know, my wife understands, um, there's times you got to take time for yourself and not, I always feel guilty. I got four kids. I'm not home much during the season. Mm -hmm. Um, even for my wife as well, but, but there's times where you just kind of, kind of refill yourself a little bit and, and find that time away. And, And I don't do it very often, but I do feel like it's it's it makes sense at 40 years old. Yeah, uh, I've got to take care of myself at times as well. Following Sarah on Instagram, I think you guys like the beach a lot. I don't follow <laughs> Sarah on Instagram, so it's, it's probably a good thing for me for yeah. my mental health. Uh, and, uh, do you even so, have Instagram? I uh, no, I don't. So I it's, <laughs> but I, I, I see her post, when you get off season. You guys love the beach. It uh, seems like. We, we've been to the beach. I, I wouldn't say that I love the beach. We go okay. to the beach. Uh, Florida is a great place to go immediately after the season. When yeah. It's a little colder up here. Right. But I wouldn't say that um, the beach is my number one. We just end up there a lot. And we okay. don't spend a lot of time on the beach when we're there. We'll probably take a picture there. Yeah. So it makes it it's look good like for we Instagram. are. <laughs> uh, but we play a lot of pickleball and do things like that. But um, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge beach person. Okay. Last thing I'll ask you, and this is how I end every um, podcast episode. What advice would you give to a young, hungry head coach, somebody that's just getting started through high school, college, maybe they're a assistant wide receivers coach yeah. in the NFL right now. What would you tell them? Well, you've got goals. You've got career goals. And I get a lot of emails and a lot of questions from people. How do I get to the NFL? How do I do this? You just have to do a great job. You got to make yourself invaluable mm-hmm. at the place you're at. I don't yeah. care what your job is. You got to make yourself, uh, the people depend on you so much mm-hmm. that they, they can't ever afford to lose you. Um, and if they go somewhere else, they have to have you, yeah. you got to be that guy and, and not the guy that talks and has all the answers, the guy that just gets work done. And you know, you're either a, a problem maker or a problem solver. And if you can make yourself a problem solver where Brandon presents something to Zach, Hey, I need this done. I might not have all the information on how to do it. I yeah. just say, you got it. And I go figure it out without you even knowing <laughs> right. how I'm figuring it out. And then you come back as quickly as possible. And here's the solution. Um, you find yourself, you're very quickly, uh, you're, you're an invaluable resource. And so if you can just make yourself that way, then, then all your career goals will be knocked out if you work hard that way. Well, Zach, I really appreciate all the time on here. And obviously I know mental health is something you care about and I've got to know you over the years. I think I can call us friends. So thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Brandon. Really appreciate it. We'll see everybody back here next week on The Mental Game. And what a great conversation that was with Coach Taylor. I can't thank Zach enough for coming on The Mental Game. You know, on a personal note, I was a reporter for the Bengals when Zach became the head coach here in Cincinnati. And so him and I have always had a good relationship, and I would call us friends now. So once again, I can't thank Zach enough for coming on and really opening up about what it's like to be an NFL head coach, coaching the Bengals, his personal life, mental health, and much, much more. That was an awesome episode. Next week, another new episode. The guest, once again, will be a surprise, but I'll give you a hint. It is the star of a comedy on TV. That is all I can say, but I know you'll really like this episode that we shot in New York City about a month ago. So that is coming up. Don't forget, please like, subscribe, rate, 
review, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, MySpace, everything you can find the mental game on. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell people you hate. Just let's help everyone we can with their mental health. And I can't wait to see everyone back here next week on the mental game. Mm-hmm.